from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hello, everybody from around the world. Yes, hello. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Christopher West Codcast, as you once described it, Wendy. That's right. When we first started recording, I called it a Codcast. The Codcast. Mm-hmm. Hosted by my beloved wife, Wendy West, the yeah. true star of the show. <laughs> For those who have maybe become more recent listeners of our podcast, I said this, I don't know how many episodes ago, that we really should change the name to the Ask Christopher and Wendy West podcast, but we'd start back at zero in the rankings and not enough people would find us and We'd have to start it's all over. It's totally fine. We're good. It's I know. Good. I'm just saying because I just want to – I constantly feel a, a little uh, pang in my oh, heart. don't. Let it go. Okay. I'll let it go. But I'll mention it again in probably <laughs> another 50 episodes. Okay. That's <laughs> we recently watched a BBC miniseries version of – Oh, Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. And mm-hmm. we had a, a very interesting application of – a theme that we yeah. watched as a family. Yeah. And then you had a fun application of a theme. It was from- interesting in a couple of ways because the concept of the story is that two sisters are very opposite in personality, but but they both need the balance of the other. So the oldest sister is very practical and logical and reserved about emotional things. She's the one with sense, according to Jane Austen. And then the next sister, who's called Marianne, is very romantic, very strong, strong feelings, just swept away easily. And hence uh, sensibility. Yes, in that in that uh, sense. <laughs> That's a funny <laughs> word to use. Anyway, you know what I'm guessing, Wendy? I'm guessing. Eighty-five percent of our women listeners already know this, uh-huh. and eighty-five percent of our male listeners don't have a clue. Okay. Well, here's the thing, male listeners. Jane Austen stories are some of the few sort of romances that can be really entertaining for guys. I agree. As well, I, so. I will. I will. I will raise my hand and say yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they're they're interesting, and you can enter into these stories. Um, anyway. The younger sister, Marianne, has this just her heart is taken away. She completely falls in love with a guy named Willoughby. And Willoughby seems wonderful. He's handsome and heroic and just in tune with her heart and seems just like the perfect man for her. And then he turns out to be a scoundrel and not virtuous at all. And it's so devastating to poor Marianne. Well, we watched this and our one of our daughters was relating in some ways to the personality of this younger sister, <laughs> being kind of dramatic and emotional. <clears throat> yes, indeed. And then uh, later, she and I had a conversation about a, a guy that was attractive and but that we don't know, and and I felt this caution in me towards her. So he he also has kind of a crush on her, and is well, yeah. Maybe they know each other from well, uh, whatever. Go ahead, Wendy. Sorry. <laughs> 
you know, not the to little parental say too much. concern was was, right, right. was being just, stirred. Yes, I just felt shall we say caution for her heart, and I it just came to me a way to express that. I said, but what if he turns out to be a Willoughby? <laughs> and she immediately knew what I meant because we so recently watched Sense and Sensibility, and she laughed. So it was kind of a fun way to be able to just express a little need for. Don't give your heart away. We don't, you don't really know this guy that well. Like to be able to say that with just that word, Willoughby, <laughs> that was kind of fun. We love to do this in the West family. We will draw from stories and movies all the time in our yeah. family conversations. And it's actually proven to be quite instructive and helpful, I have found. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any updates for us from the TB Institute? I do. It is official. The website for pre-orders of my latest book, which is not yet delivered in print. It shall be. It's at the printers as we are recording this. You can go, this is the title of the book, Eating the Sunrise. Go to eatingthesunrise.com and you can pre-order the book. And there's also some goodies we send out to the people who pre-order the book. Uh, You can get an additional bonus chapter that is not in the printed book uh, will send you a a PDF of the bonus chapter. And by the way, the the subtitle of this book, if you haven't heard me already talking about it, it's called Eating the Sunrise. And then the subtitle is Meditations on Liturgy and Our Hunger for Beauty. And it really is a, a deep dive into the hungers of the human heart, and how they are satisfied sacramentally in the Mass. And I do, a, I do a deep dive into first those hungers, what they are, our attraction to beauty, our longing for beauty, and the sadness we all feel that there's no beauty in this world that lasts forever. And the title comes from a student of mine who once said, Christopher, I don't, I don't want to just behold the sunrise. I want to I want to eat it. I want to take it in. And that's such a great, it captures that deep thirst and hunger we have, not just to behold beauty, but to, to, to enter into it and have it enter into us. And the thesis of the book is that that's exactly what we do at the Mass. We eat the sunrise, right? Why does the church traditionally pray her liturgy facing the sun, ad orientum, the, the land of the rising sun, the orient? Why, why do we gather on Sunday, the day of the sun, right? Why is the, the pinnacle celebration of the liturgical year Easter, right? Facing the east on Sunday. All of these point to the cosmic dimension of the liturgy, that the, the mystery of, of humanity, the mystery of God's marriage to humanity is written in the stars, because uh, the sun comes forth like a bridegroom, we we eat the sunrise in the liturgy. So I unpack all that in a way that will, re- I think, really resonate with your heart. And then the bonus chapter is called, um, what is it called? It's Well, I forget what I called it, but the theme is the connection between the liturgical chaos of the last several decades and the sexual chaos of the last mm-hmm. sec- several decades, they're intertwined. Mm-hmm. When we do not understand what it means that we're male and female, we do not understand what the liturgy is. 
And when we do not understand what the liturgy is, we do not understand what it means to be male and female. These two are so intertwined. John Paul II says we cannot understand uh, what, what the church is in her relationship to Christ unless we understand why we are created male and female. So I unpack all that in the bonus chapter. And if you go to the website, eatingthesunrise.com, you can pre-order and get that bonus chapter and some other goodies, including the audio book that's coming. We've already recorded it. I think I'll stop talking about it now. It was pretty I exciting. Could, I, I could keep going on and on. That's true. But I'll stop because okay. we have questions to get to. That's right. And here we go. Here we go. I have one from a patron named Luis. Hello, Luis. Greetings from Guadalajara, Mexico. I just became a TOB patron today because I'm convinced of how many blessings the Lord pours upon those of us who listen to your podcast. Thank you, Luis. Thank you. I'm so grateful to you. While we listeners benefit from your theological knowledge and experience in evangelization, I think some of the finest riches of this podcast come from your own lived experience as a married couple, by which you remind me of that quote from G.K. Chesterton, the most extraordinary thing in the world is an ordinary man and an ordinary woman and their ordinary children. Mm, it's I, true. I didn't know that quote. Yeah, I've heard that before. I, I, it's one that I should reference more often yeah. because it's so it's revelatory. Yeah. It speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. Luis says, I was a student of what I believe was the first TOB1 online course. Oh, great. And I remember Christopher telling a story about two priests walking past a beautiful woman who was a prostitute. One of the priests covered his eyes and told his brother priest to shield his eyes. However, the other priest looked at the woman and wept, thinking how could it be possible that such beauty was sold to the lust of men? I myself have a really hard time trying to determine if the way I look at women is sinful or not. Mm. Sometimes I'll come across a beautiful woman walking on the street or while I'm doing grocery shopping, and I can't help but feel attraction. I also start wondering things like, what is her name? And what does she believe in? What is her life like? Etc. I don't think I see women like objects to be used for my own selfish gratification, but this happens so often that I feel guilt and also that I'm maybe unfaithful to my wife and to Jesus. This is something that I go to confession for on a weekly basis almost. And I'm not sure if I'm right to do this or if I'm being scrupulous. I know that being married doesn't mean that a man will only feel attracted to his wife and vice versa, but I need to know how to stay faithful to my wife and Jesus with my whole and complete self, including what I look at, think of, and what I desire. Any advice on this? Luis, thank you so much for your question. So honest, and it's obvious to me that you really want to see rightly. You want to love your wife rightly, and you want to love every woman rightly, and that's a beautiful thing. And I, I want to point out that a key in what you said to me that indicates that you're on the right track is that you are, when you see a beautiful woman, you think, hmm, what's her name? What does she believe in? What is her life like? That's a sign to me that you are genuinely wanting to see her as someone and not merely as some thing, right? And that's the distinction. Am I treating this person as someone or as some thing? We use things, we love persons, right? And the opposite of love in the language of John Paul II is not hatred. 
The opposite of love is to use another person as a thing, right? As a means to an end. So that's a sign that you're on the right track. Does that mean your heart is 100% pure here? Well, you would be in heaven if your heart was 100% pure. (laughs) Nobody's heart is 100% pure in this life. So how do we get into those inner layers of our hearts and keep exposing those inner layers of our hearts where we might need a further purification? I want to quote here. This is actually from the book I was just mentioning, the book I just completed called Eating the Sunrise. I have a whole chapter on on distinguishing love and lust and uh, what's it what is authentic what is the appreciation authentically of God's beauty in this world and how do we know if we're grasping at it or using someone and I quote there from a professor of mine who was a personal friend of John Paul II Stanislaw Griegel and he says this listen to this very interesting he says learning the dignity of the human person at the school of beauty takes a long time. It requires patience and constancy. However, he also goes on to say, but lowering our eyes at the sight of a beautiful body breaks off the path to knowing the truth that begins to reveal itself in that body. So this idea that the only thing we can possibly do to avoid lust is turn away, uh, this, is, this is not a Catholic view of things. Obviously, obviously, Christian, know thyself. If you are bound by lust, then that injunction from the Old Testament, this is from the wisdom literature, turn away your eyes from a shapely woman, right? That's Sirach uh, chapter 9, I think. That retains all of its wisdom, right? It's right out of the wisdom literature, in as much as we are bound in our hearts by lust. But Christ's words, and this is John Paul II, Christ's words about looking lustfully are not merely an admonition to turn away, right? And I'm quoting John Paul II directly here. He says, Christ's words about lust in the Sermon on the Mount, quote, are an invitation to a pure way of looking at others capable of respecting what John Paul II calls the spousal meaning of the body. I believe, Luis, that this is your desire, to respect the true dignity and personhood of these women that you find your heart drawn to. And I think you are, you're being honest with yourself. Confession every week to share all this, if you were blatantly lusting, absolutely. If you are looking, Lord, here's my heart, where is the love, where's the right appreciation, where is my heart maybe grasping at beauty in a disordered way, certainly put that out in the light in the confessional as well. But I would guess, I, 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 if you're asking my advice, and I think you are, I mean, it's you are because you submitted your question, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably, what you should really confess is scruples mm-hmm. more than confessing that you found so-and-so attractive. Keep your heart in the light, and I'll say it again, learning the dignity of the human person at the school of beauty takes a long time, and, re- and it requires patience and constancy. Stay constant in raising your attraction to the level of the dignity 
of the person. That's an expression from John Paul II. Chastity does not mean annihilating our attractions. It, It means raising them to the level of the dignity of the person. A thought I'm having as you're sharing that is sometimes you've shared um, with uh, listeners on our podcast or in audiences uh, a prayer to overcome lust. But I, I think it's a prayer kind of almost like for the beginner on the journey. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. feel like Luis is sharing like further down the journey uh, on the road, you know, like maybe he needs to even like ask the Lord to inspire him with a prayer that would honor the people that he's seeing um, at his stage of the journey. You know, that's not simply like, I can't exactly quote that prayer, even though I've heard it many times, like, um, at any rate, but like something that's, that's praying, like, thank you for this person. And I, I pray that she would shine the light she's called to shine in this world, that she would be um, an instrument of God's grace in this world, or something like that, that doesn't, it's not good to get your brain too into trying to imagine a person's life, because it can just take you down this path of almost like kind of creating a person that you feel a bond with that you don't even even know. Yeah, so you kind of want to be cautious about going too far in that direction, but it's simply honoring and and acknowledging the fact that every person has suffering and that is in in need of grace, you know, can be incorporated into a prayer that allows that encounter to, you know, be a moment for you with the Lord, to thank Him and to lift up that person in in intercession. Yeah, the the prayer I I typically advise people to pray, you know, in their own way. I don't just think you should repeat these words necessarily unless you find them exactly the words that help you, but something to the effect of, Lord, thank you for the beauty of this person. Lord, I recognize there's a tendency in me to objectify this person. I ask you, please, by the power of your death and resurrection, to untwist in me what sin has twisted up so that I might see this person rightly. Mm. And yeah, that's, that's that's a prayer for someone starting out the journey. Now, I've been on the journey for a long, long, long time, and I still need that prayer. But it does take you to, as you make the journey, you get to deeper levels of of integration, but there's still a need for even a, a deeper integration. And the point is that the beauty of another person is meant to be a sign that lifts our hearts to the heavens, that lifts our hearts from small b beauty to capital B beauty. If we're stopping at small b beauty and and trying to suck infinity out of something finite, well, that's the very definition of an idol. But if we're allowing that beauty of that person to be an icon that raises my heart to the heavens, well, well, this is this is exactly what it means to see the world sacramentally. Uh, I would also just add this: if you're finding yourself only praying those prayers for a certain kind of person, you know, the the kind of person that kind of meets the standard in our Mm. culture of what a, quote, beautiful person is. Well, that itself is even a sign of a kind of fixation on the external. Uh, Are you also praying that you would see every other person rightly, right? Not just those you find 
attractive, whatever that may mean. Uh, and there's nothing wrong in and of itself with certain attractions we have to this kind of person or that color of hair or that, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. But I've caught myself, well, I, I have to pray for that, for the way I'm looking at that person. And then I've caught myself thinking, oh, no, no issue there. Thank God. And it's just like a dismissal, like, whoa, 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 whoa. That too is a person made in the image and likeness of God. Am I seeing that person in the right way? Uh, am I seeing that old lady uh, with a walker the right way? Do I see her dignity rightly? Or am I just fixated on making sure that I see the young, quote, hottie in the right way? Right? <laughs> I mean, that, that, if, if I'm fixated, okay, <laughs> we're meant to see everybody rightly. Mm-hmm. And, and both failures there would be a failure in honoring the dignity of the person. Mm. So maybe we'll leave it there just to, for the sake of time. Yeah. But I hope you found that helpful, Luis, and yeah. I hope all our listeners found that helpful. The journey towards real, authentic appreciation of the beauty and dignity of every human person is for reals, and we can make it, we can do it with God's grace. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Is there any difference between touching or feeling myself and masturbation? I don't understand why it would be sinful to touch myself between the legs when it's perfectly acceptable to touch other parts of my body. Yeah, this is a good question. And it it sounds to me like this person may have had, we were talking about scruples earlier. Mm. Someone might have had some real scruples here in educating this person and might have given the impression. And I've heard this many, many times, Mm -hmm. sadly. You better not touch yourself there. Those, those, uh, that's the dirty part. Don't touch your dirty mm, parts or just yeah. attitudes like that. Right. Uh, I remember the story from years ago of a woman who, she was an adult and had some real, real sexual problems. And she shared this memory with me of being like six years old and in the bathtub. And she was curious about her body and she touched her genitals And her mom smacked her hand and said, don't touch yourself there. That's dirty. Mm. When we have those really painful experiences like that, there can even be a a tension uh, that lodges in our genitals even uh, that, that, yeah, can really wreak havoc in our lives. Like our bodies store these traumas. Mm -hmm. And so it it sounds to me, I, I can't know for sure, of course, but from this anonymous question. It sounds to me like there might have been some experience in this person's past where a a, a negative image of the genitals was given. Let me give a positive image of the Mm -hmm. genitals, right? St. Paul himself says, those parts of our body that we think are less honorable. Why do we think they're less honorable? Because of our fallenness, right? Those parts of our body that we think are less honorable, St. Paul says, these parts of our body deserve all the greater honor because these parts of our body have been bestowed with the greater glory by God. God has bestowed a greater glory on these parts of our body. And by these parts, we're talking about our genitals because our genitals reveal the call to holy communion. A man's body makes no sense by itself. A woman's body makes no sense by itself. But seen in light of of each other, our genitals reveal this call to life-giving, holy 
communion. There are any number of ways we may touch our genitals that is not masturbatory. Uh, A masturbatory touching of our genitals would be a stimulating of our genitals for the sake of experiencing genital pleasure in in an in a way that is isolated from the marital embrace, right? The purpose of that stimulation, the purpose of that pleasure in the stimulation, it's meant to be the joy of loving as God loves. How does God love? This is my body given up for you. This is what a husband and wife are meant to be saying in stimulating each other's bodies, in stimulating each other for the sake of being able to perform the marital embrace, so they can say fully, this is my body given for you. We wash our genitals. We have to, certainly guys have to hold their genitals when they're going to the bathroom to urinate. There are any number of reasons to touch our genitals. Um, Sometimes, and and I've received this counsel, I've given this counsel, uh, to learn how to bless your own genitals, to praise God for them to lay your hand on your own body and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for making me to be a man. Lord, thank you for making me to be a woman, as the case may be. For me, it's a man. For you, Wendy, it's a woman. But to be able to place our hands on our own bodies, whether it's our elbow, our knee, our breast, our navel, our buttocks, our toes, our ears, whatever part of your body, to lay your hands on your own body and say, thank you, Lord, for my ears. Thank you, Lord, for my elbows. Thank you, Lord, for my penis. Thank you, Lord, for my testicles. Thank you, Lord, for my kneecaps. Thank you, Lord, for my whole body. To be able to do that is so life-affirming and and can really go a long way to undoing those fearful, puritanical, scrupulous approaches to our body that uh, not only is unhelpful, uh, as in doesn't help us, but it's contrary. It's like anti-helpful, like takes us in the wrong direction. Mm. Uh, so in a, a, in a way of touching any part of our body that affirms and blesses and honors the way God made us to bring about an integration, to bring about a proper sense of my own goodness and dignity, that is right, that is proper, that is good, that is true. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Some of what you said was reminding me of some conversations with our young children yeah, long indeed. ago. Yeah, me too. So I hope some of our listeners who have young children are kind of considering that you can't give what you don't have. You have to start with thanking the Lord for your own body in order to teach your children that, Yeah. which is a huge blessing. Yeah, and, and to be able to say to little children, you know, maybe they're fiddling with their genitals in the bathtub and... The little boy's getting an erection, and obviously that's that's you're passing over now into a stimulating circumstance that's bringing genital pleasure without shaming, without scolding, but to say, do you know how awesome your body is? Do you know how beautiful your body is? Do you know what the wonderful plan of God is for your body? That when you get to be a man, you're going to be called either one way or another to give your body away in love. And your penis is a sign that you're called to give your body away in love. And so we, we need to honor those parts of our bodies. We don't play with those parts of our bodies. We learn to honor these parts of our bodies. And it's okay to put your hand on your penis and saying, say, thank you, God, for making me to be a boy. 
or with a little girl, it's okay to put your hand on your vulva and say, thank you, God, for making me to be a girl. Uh, Amen to that. Absolutely. Our next question is also from an anonymous listener, but I don't think the same as the previous. We have another. We must have two anonymous listeners, actually. Sorry for making a joke about that. It's fine to put your question as anonymous. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. What a gift your podcast has been for me. I've been dating a guy for almost four years. I've been so blessed to have shared these past four years with this man. It feels like we grew up together. We met when we were 18 and 19. In the past few months, we've discussed marriage more, but this time it has been with more intention. I know he was waiting on my heart to be ready and for the Lord to prepare us to have a deep, meaningful conversation about it, and I'm glad to say I feel he will propose soon. I'm thrilled that the Lord has called us together, and I know we can live a holy marriage together. He's already shown to me how patient he can be when I'm feeling overwhelmed or anxious. There is one topic I do struggle with from time to time, though, which is the marital embrace and the proper order of self-mastery with it. I'm not sure if I just feel nervous about the act or scared because it is something neither of us have done. Sometimes I think about it, and of course, I'm excited to get to share in that special moment with the man I love and to get to be so close to him, but I do fear I will overindulge in the pleasure of it. I'm also nervous about the possibility of conceiving a baby before we're ready. We do plan on doing NFP and practicing lots of self-mastery with that, but I can see myself in the future being nervous to be intimate with my spouse, even when we can't get pregnant. I know this is an area I need to hand over to the Lord before we get married because there's some fear here. I do trust in the Lord's timing. I think a part of it for me is perfectionism and not wanting to mess up practicing NFP and Mm -hmm. self-mastery. I've been sharing these worries and fears with my boyfriend, and he so calmly reminded me that in order to practice self-mastery, the order of our desires must be in line with God's, that pleasure could become sinful when we're wanting just pleasure for ourselves instead of expressing the love we have for one another. It all lies within the intentions of our actions. So I'm just wondering, did you ever struggle with perfectionism when practicing NFP? (laughs) And is the way I see NFP right now a contraceptive mentality? I was wondering if you could shed some light on how to feel more confident and not scared of the pleasure I know I will feel one day in marriage. Bless you, dear listener and questioner. Wow. That was... That was a lot. That was jam-packed. <laughs> yeah. But with goodness, yeah. with, with insights and with... I. I I, uh, have I ever struggled with perfectionism? I have a whole book I've written, <laughs> uh, the subtitle of which is Confessions of a Recovering Perfectionist. Yeah. Um, yes, I've struggled with perfectionism in every area of my life because that's what perfectionists do, including practicing NFP and self-mastery. I've had a perfectionism. And I can, you know, it takes one to know one. I can kind of smell your perfectionism here. But I want to I put you at ease because what I'm also hearing, and praise God that this is what your struggle is. Yes. Praise God that your struggle is, and here I'm going to diagnose it, take it for what it's worth. If the shoe don't fit, don't wear it. But what I'm hearing is fear of the unknown. Mm. 
And thank God that that's what you're struggling with, a fear of the unknown. Thank God that you've had the grace and your soon-to-be fiancé has had the grace to remain chaste. Uh, very few people in today's world have that experience. So a lot of people are coming into marriage with all kinds of other issues and pains and fears that they're dealing with. My pain and my fear when I came into marriage because I had been sexually active was, will I be able to be a true gift to you, Wendy? And, and I had to work through all kinds of stuff before and after we got married in that regard. And the good news is, it's so clear that you love one another. It's so clear that he's tender with you in these questions. And will you struggle with maybe overindulging in the pleasure? Uh, yeah, you probably will. Because, man, the marital union is so delightful and pleasurable. And, I mean, there have been so many times, like, God, come on. I mean, what did you think we were going to do? Did you think we really weren't going to screw this up? When you gave us this capacity to feel such delight in, in our bodies, how, how did you ever expect us that we're not going to screw this up? And, and, you know, there's kind of some weird resentment towards God for giving us the capacity to feel such delight there. Uh, but there's, there's, it's, it's also my way of, of saying, wow, this is, this, this is so intense and so delightful that you can easily screw it up, but God, still knowing we would screw it up, says, no, I want to give them this taste. Mm. I, what taste of what? The pleasure and the joy of the marital embrace is meant to be the pleasure and the joy of tasting on earth something, just a little, little, little glimmer of the eternal ecstasy and joy of the life and love of the Trinity. Right? God is perfect ecstasy and bliss. That's who and what God is. And he designed us, he created us with the capacity to taste it, to taste it. And there are, there are other times in marriage where I've just been in absolute awe and wonder that we didn't make this up. God did this. God made it. God designed us this way. And we, we are called by God, invited by God to, to rejoice in, in loving as he loves. It sounds to me, dear listener and questioner, that you already have a pretty darn good understanding of the proper order of things here. And just I would just invite you to keep open, honest conversation with your fiancé as to what the fears are, what the questions are, and what your own temptations are. And, and in your open, honest conversation, walk out of the boat and learn how to walk on water, right? The, the journey of the Christian life is not in the safety of some perfect boat, right? The journey of the Christian life is out amongst the wind and the waves with our eyes set on Jesus. But, but, but if I get out of the boat, I might sink. I might make a mistake. Yep. Better to get out of the boat and sink than never to get out of the boat. Right? Peter, when he sank, Jesus did not scold him for getting out of the boat. He didn't say, you fool, what the heck are you doing out here? You're not, you're not God. You can't walk on water. Why'd you get out of the boat? He didn't scold him for getting out of the boat. He scolded him, if we can even say scolded, or he offered a correction because he lacked his faith. He, he, took, he lacked in his faith. He took his eyes off Jesus. You and your fiance together 
can step out of that boat with your eyes fixed on Jesus and walk on water and trust that if your eyes come off Jesus, if you slip, if you sink, he's not going to shame you. He's going to reach out his hand to you and call you back to faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that fear of making a mistake and maybe not being loved by the Lord is kind of one of the things that a, at least a faith-filled perfectionist yes, kind of person is struggling with, that's right? That's the mark right there, Yeah, speaking from experience. Yeah, yeah. And so I think um, all the things are awesome things to be considering as a, a woman who's considering becoming a wife. You know, that's that's a that's a new reality to be a wife. You've been a girlfriend for a long time. To be a wife is different, and it's different in this way and in other ways, but this is a very important way. And it is, as you said, it's unknown. What will it be like? Um, and that fear of, could it be, you know, a, an occasion for me to get something wrong that I desperately want to get right? That honesty with yourself is so it, important and beautiful. I love your self-awareness, and I know it's probably a great blessing to your boyfriend or fiancé that you talk about these things that are on your mind and heart. Far better for him to know than to wonder. Um, I'm saying that because I, I know I'm not as gifted at kind of knowing myself and sharing my concerns openly, so I, I admire that about you, that you're able to articulate all these things and and just know that they're normal things to wonder about um, and to seek the Lord and to seek his face knowing that he is going to smile and love you and help you and teach you. And that's because he wants to do that for every person. And you have that gift of desiring the true good. That's a gift. It's a beautiful gift. Thank him for that. And then ask him to help you every step of the way. I don't I don't think there's anything strange about your feelings. I, I just think it's all part of your journey that you're on a good one. You're on a good path here. And also, like you, we went into marriage with the intention to use natural family planning, NFP, um, and sensed, discerned, believed that we had reason to avoid a pregnancy at first um, in our marriage and knew that that would probably be the case at other times in our marriage. So that knowledge of, you know, experiencing that um, sense of seriousness about wanting to delay a pregnancy, for example, uh, I can relate to that. But the very fact that you are, you keep bringing up this idea of growing in self-mastery is absolutely the opposite of what the contraceptive mentality says. The a contraceptive mentality says, I don't want to have self-mastery. I see that as a negative. So you're describing it as a positive because it is a positive. It enables you to be that much more of a sincere gift to one another, which is what will make your marriage most beautiful. So I, I'm not concerned about that mentality. Yeah, I would agree with what you said there, Wendy. I'm not concerned that this couple would have a contraceptive mentality. Maybe part of her question is, do we have a just reason to be avoiding a child? 
and we we can't answer that question for you because we don't know all your circumstances. Uh, even if we did know all your circumstances, we could maybe offer more and educated advice. But part of responsible parenthood, this is very clear coming from John Paul II, part of responsible parenthood is that the couple and the couple alone can discern that before the Lord, right? And it's it's incumbent on the couple themselves that they not be motivated by selfishness, right? Either in having another child or in avoiding another child, right? You could have a, want a child for selfish reasons. Um, responsible parenthood means our sexual choices, either to engage in the marital act or to abstain, is not motivated by selfishness. So, just take that to prayer, and, and you and your fiancé, soon-to-be fiancé, already seem very comfortable talking through these issues. I would just keep talking through them, keep putting them in the light, and letting the Lord love you even when you sink, even when you slip up, even when you make a mistake, even when you fall, right? Sometimes the way the Lord heals us of our perfectionism is by putting a banana peel right in front of us, in a sense. And by that I mean allowing us to slip up so that we can know he still loves us, even there in our slip-ups, even when it's a major slip-up. These have been some of the most difficult lessons in my life, but the most fruitful lessons in my life in overcoming my perfectionism. So I hope that helps you. Bless you. Mm-hmm. I hope what we have shared today has blessed everybody who's been listening. I hope it has. And if you know somebody who needs to be blessed by what you were blessed with today, would you hit that share button? And if you want to leave a comment, uh, that would be great. If you want to rank our podcast, that always helps us to get um, more listeners. It's just a way of expanding our audience. That would help if you would be willing to rank us. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. May you know it in your bones that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. 